Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Oh, that's Kristen. Okay. I'm outside St. James's. This is brilliant. Some, some of us actually go to football. We don't just watch it on streams. It is Monday, which means it's time for the Front 3 Weekend Review with me, Adam Ball, with the one and only Lawrence McKenna. Weekend. And Statman Dave. It's not the weekend anymore. That's right, it's Monday evening. We're coming to you a little later this week. We wanted to wait to record until after the Arsenal-Sutton game. Didn't quite provide the giant killing some were hoping for. 2-0 in the end to Arsenal, a routine win. We'll be talking about that game as well as all the FA Cup action this weekend. We'll also be discussing Barcelona and the growing crisis surrounding the club with football writer Simon Harrison. And Chris Hennage will be joining us later on to talk Newcastle, Aston Villa in the Championship, as well as preview all the big Champions League fixtures. Some tasty ones coming up, including Monaco, Manchester City. First, though, let's talk Sutton nil, Arsenal 2, Lawrence. Wait, what, wait, that was the most exciting bit? It's supposed to be, wasn't it? I mean, it didn't quite Why? It didn't quite work out that way. They're supposed to be non-league sun against big boys Arsenal. The giant killings coming, you know, magic stuff you know Arsenal the underdogs coming through in the end exactly uh, it, it definitely lost a bit of the spark after the first goal but Arsenal did do their normal sort of hey we could always fa- oh yeah there we go um, Arsenal weren't I mean they were they were fast they were exciting at times there was an attempted headbutt on uh, I think it was on Oxley Chamberlain wasn't it was it? Did you I see enjoyed that I did enjoy that magic of the cup mate it's all in the magic of the cup you know it was pretty crazy though, wasn't it um and then obviously uh, it was eight to one as to whether uh, the goalkeeper would eat a pie. That's the thing, isn't it? Uh, I mean, Wayne Shaw, the reserve goalkeeper for Sutton, also the goalkeeping coach, uh, became an internet hero in the second half, eating a pie slash pasty, depending on your depending on your preference. Uh, if you if, a uh, hero uh, within minutes, it was all over twelve. On whether there was, was going to be a pie eaten though. Yeah, but you could bet if there was going to be a pie eaten. And I That's thought if you bet on the pie, and then they see the pasty. I've never seen. A guy go from hero to zero quicker uh, in this age of Twitter, football, you know, social media. It was on Why's every gone to zero? football media banter account, you know. This guy. Why's not, it gone to zero? It was staged, Lawrence. It was staged. No. The Sun Bets involved with the club. 
advertising before the game they put out. Oh, you know, eight to one. Goalkeeper to beat a pile on the bench. Lo and behold, there he comes out in the second half, Wayne Shaw, chomping down on his pie, looking for the cameras, mate. He knew what he was doing. I thought at first, you know, cynically, he knows what he's doing. He's milking it for the cameras. Little did I know, Lawrence. He's in bed with the bloody sun. You know what I mean? Jeez. Well, I mean, you know, it was I, it was it was the rise and fall. I don't know where to start. Of, I think he was in bed with of Wayne Shaw in about five minutes. It was ridiculous. In the same way, you'd imagine that when he jumps, it's a similar rise and fall. In many ways, yes. Um, I, I was just, I was shocked, Lawrence. I was shocked and appalled and shocked. Why were you shocked? Do you not think if a guy sort of wants to make a little bit of money while he's got the chance, then he should have the chance to do that, Adam? I mean, if he's not playing. But- is that not illegal to do that? <laughs> to like open a market. I mean, it's not and really. Like stage it's not really halfway through the game. I, that, I suppose the point is that really the Sun bets or whoever. I mean, they're you know, uh, the less I say that name, the better. But I mean, you know, it, maybe it's that the Sun bets were looking to give away some money. You know, maybe they felt bad about the history of the paper and they thought, well, we have to give away some money. I just think it, I, I'm just the, nothing's real, Lawrence. Um, you know, I don't know what to believe in anymore. Next week, it'll be Sergio Ramos having a, having a paella. Exactly. You know I mean? Donald Trump was right. Or it'll mate. be Jose fake Mourinho news everywhere. having a pee. Everything's fake, you know? I don't know what to believe in anymore. Mario Balotelli will struggle to put a bib on. Or uh, do you think you can? You bet. Well, I suppose you can put small things like that. But if you, the thing is, if you, well, went, into a, stage, if you went into a, 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 a what? Not an estate agent. A betting shop. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Big gambler, right? Eh? You can tell I don't often. Um, if you went into a betting shop and sort of went, and sort of said, uh, oh, Adam Lalana to comb his hair. They'd be like, are you talking to Adam Lalana? Because surely you'd have known that, you know? Is that not, you know, just on that, that note there, does it, isn't that um, an irregular betting pattern or something? That goes against the gambling license, I'm pretty sure. Cause hey, why, is, why is that an irregular betting pattern? It's not an irregular, I can't remember what it was. I, I'm a bit sleepy today, but I used is to, that- I, one of the things I did at my old job was apply for a betting, a gambling license. And there was one where you cannot do that type of thing. So how come the sun? Maybe that's the end of the sun bets. See you later, lads. This is what makes me think. License. This is what makes me think that it's not even a real bet, and that it was actually just a bit of promo for the sun bets because they're trying to catch up with a well-known Irish betting association, Patrick Power. Of course, of course. Uh, on the pitch, I mean, uh, it was of course the smallest ever crowd Arsenal have ever played in front of. Uh, pretty. Pretty incredible. Uh, wasn't but, but louder than the normal crowd they played. <laughs> Funnily enough, so, yeah. that was quite know. strange. Um, but it didn't quite live up to the 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 giant killing we were hoping it might potentially. Pretty routine in the end, Dave. Theo Walcott though scoring his one hundredth goal for the club, a uh, big occasion of course, has taken him I think eleven years to get That's to that it. stage though. Um, so some Arsenal fans seemingly not quite sure how to how to celebrate this one. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a while, right? Ten years to score ten goals from a player that you know could have been one of the best strikers in England. He had all the raw potentials, but he never he never really filled out. He never really evolved his game. He's still the sort of a little bit lightweight Theo Walcott, and injuries really hampered him. He had a, a few seasons where he really got started, where he was in double figures for goals and assists, and then the injuries just came in, and that happened consistently. And I just think potentially because he played too much as a, as a kid, he played too much as a, as a 16-year-old for professional clubs. Maybe that's hampered him in the long run in terms of his development. We see what's happened to Wayne Rooney in recent years that he's playing a, you know, a, at the age of a lot header of, you know, f- further ahead of his time. So it's an interesting one. Has Theo Walcott played too much football young? Have we ruined him playing him in too many positions? 
maybe he's just not what everyone thought he was. Maybe he was an overvalued youngster. Maybe he was in the time of Wonder Kids where he needed to play football when he was playing in the reserves for Arsenal. There's a lot of questions, but it's taken too long for Theo Walcott. You'd expect him to get there six years earlier, maybe. Is that a bit harsh, though, to, to put that all on Theo Walcott's shoulders, Lawrence? Because, I mean, Dave said, you know, he had the potential to be one of the best strikers around, but... You know, he's a winger at the start of his career. It was only in the last few years where we've heard about him wanting to move more central. I mean, he, he did always want to play as a striker. Um, I still feel like 100 goals for what he's had of a career, which has been fairly injury-prone, uh, sort of at times difficult to watch. Um, it's actually quite a reasonable career. I, don't, I think a lot of people are measuring up to what they thought he was going to be. And I think what they thought he was going to be was something much bigger than, and ultimately... That's the issue. Mm. We should, well, we shouldn't fall into the trap of just talking about Arsenal, though. We should talk about Sutton, Lawrence. Brave Sutton. You know, they showed heart. Brave, like, brave they, Sutton. They yeah. did themselves. They're, they're, they're a credit to themselves in many ways. Uh, Rory Deacon. Mate, you're not, you're, not, you're not doing a school report. I am. I'm trying to get as <laughs> many cliches as I could into the sentence. Uh, but um, Rory Deacon, I thought, looked decent. Obviously, an ex Arsenal starlet uh, hammered the bar. In that second half, maybe it looks like he should be playing at a, a higher level. But either way, Sutton did themselves proud, Lawrence. They did. Um, I mean, just even to get to this stage, sort of. I know they, you know they beat uh, huge opposition in the previous rounds, and I think you can go through all that. Uh, basically, the, the point is that the club uh, still sits, I think, six, maybe seven uh, spaces above the relegation uh, spots in their own league. So maybe, just maybe. This may have drawn away from what they they want to achieve this season. Although, uh, looking at some of the pre-match interviews, they were also talking about how they were proud of where they were and they wanted to be the biggest non-league club, um, which is sort of tricky because I mean, if you're the biggest non-league club, that means you get promotion. Uh, so basically, they want to remain always unpromoted. Um, wow, which must be tricky if you want to be the best. We're roughly the best as long as we finish below these areas. Oh, pretty. Pretty comfortable for Arsenal, uh, as I said. Uh, That's funny. Some complaining that uh, they only won 2 0. You know, it should have been a bigger win. Pathetic that Arsenal couldn't do more against the non league side. At the same time, they didn't, right, they didn't really have to. Uh, well, I mean, they could have. Um, probably would have been nice to see Why? what they, they could have done. They didn't even need to get out of neutral, you know, just uh, cruise along, cruise control. But, but they weren't really cruising because there was a time where Ospina sort of played out of the back and it could have been one all at one point. Um, I think it was Deacon who put it wide of the post. Mm. Obviously, Lucas Perez had a good uh, performance tonight, as did Iwobi. Um, but uh, also, I mean, I suppose you could say that there's a lot of positivities in that back line. You know, they played a back line of Holding and Mustafi, uh, Polista and Monreal. And uh, as a back four, that's probably a less familiar one mm. uh, for those guys. So I think overall, some positives for them to take away. The problem is for them. And the pro- this is Arsenal's problem all too often, Adam. Is next, they're playing Liverpool. That's when they've really got to turn up. That's when they've really got to. Well, I mean, it, it is going to be interesting because if you look at if you look at the previous results uh, between Liverpool and Arsenal, it's been quite an, um, an exerting game. But they've got a little while to prepare for that one now. They're through into the next round, um, and it's been an exciting weekend for the North London clubs. It has indeed. Um, Arsenal in that next round playing Lincoln City, who I'm sure oh. will be quaking in their boots after that Arsenal performance. Um, Lincoln, of course, beating Burnley, a giant killing. If one was ever. Given. Was it? It was uh, a true giant team, killing. Uh, a true giant killing. It was overshadowed somewhat, though, wasn't it? 
We saw what Joe Barton's antics and him being a bit big, bit of a lad, Joey um, diving around, having a bit of fun. Yeah, he took a little dive in the box, didn't he? Not touched at all. Beautiful shape on the the curve. I'd give it a ten, solid ten. So he deliberately ran into someone's arm. Yeah, Joey Barton appeared to deliberately run into the arm of Lincoln forward Matt Reed and went down like a sack of potatoes, a sack of spuds, um, rather dramatically. No, no, he didn't even he didn't even run into his arm. He just fell over. It was just embarrassing, to say the least. Oh no! I'm am surprised. Have you not seen this, Lawrence? No, not really. I mean, I'm not really all that bothered. I try and avoid Joey Barton news <laughs> as much as you can. I just don't care. <laughs> People keep telling me how eloquent he is and what a great ambassador he is. And I'm always like, mm, yeah, maybe an ambassador for partial reform. It's almost unfair to, to talk about Joey Barton when Lincoln uh, became the first non-league side in 103 years to reach the FA Cup quarterfinals. Um, an incredible achievement, Lawrence. Monumental. Um, <laughs> no, 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 it is. Uh, sorry, it sounds disingenuous. Um, yeah, uh, the it, magic. A, really great, a really great performance against... But the, the problem is also, I mean, uh, I, I mean, I understand that's relatively uh, a, f- a first team uh, in in terms of uh, Lincoln playing Burnley. But then, you, at the same time, I would say this: you can definitely see where Burnley's priorities lie. Uh, and I think for that reason, it was a scalp which you would have expected them. To, you should have expected them to take. Well, Arsenal-Lincoln then uh, a thrilling quarterfinal, the last chance for a real giant killing uh, in those quarterfinals uh, Spurs welcoming Mill after beating Fulham 3-0 uh, a routine victory again has to be said what do you think of this one Adam was it routine yeah it was pretty routine yeah I mean yeah it was it was a comfortable win for Spurs you know Pochino named a full strength side which was good to see um, Harry Kane obviously starting up front scoring a hat-trick uh, potentially the beginning of the end if you will for Vincent Janssen uh, wasn't Worthy of a spot on the bench in Pochettino's eyes in that midweek Europa League defeat again. Made the bench this time, but Pochettino clearly doesn't trust him enough to start him, not even to feature him You know, for a, for a morale-boosting 10-minute cameo, potentially at the end of the game when Spurs were cruising 3-0 up. Um, so that does, uh, that does spell potentially the end for, for Vincent Janssen at Spurs, for Pochettino not to have that level of, of trust in the player. Um, but encouraging to see Harry Winks playing well you know he seems to be growing in in stature and composure every game he plays I've been impressed when I have seen him feature uh, you know in this game some Spurs fans comparing him to Luka Modric which may be praise that's uh, slightly over the top but you know again he's he's starting to show his influence on games I think his passing ability is starting to shine through for the for the second goal especially which essentially killed the game you know he started off the move with the vision to see Trippier on that right-hand side, so uh, another positive there. Uh, you know, it would be great to see Spurs win the FA Cup. I've said before it would be an important sign of progress for Pochettino to win silverware with this Spurs team. You know, that would be a first trophy for him. It would be a first trophy for Spurs since the League Cup in 2008. So I think it would be, uh, as well as, you know, a great day out and all this sort of stuff at Wembley in the final, I think it would actually be an important uh, an important trophy for, for Spurs to win at this stage under under Mauricio Pochettino. We, we do have to beat Millwall first, though, uh, at home. That's a bit tasty, isn't it? That's a bit tasty, isn't it, Spurs-Millwall? You're a bit worried about that one, are you, Adam? Well, um, not really. I mean, off the pitch, I assume you're talking about. Uh, Millwall fans are lovely people. I've met one of them, and he's a lovely chap. Um, 
That's a hundred percent. No, obviously the Millwall doing pretty well themselves. Neil uh, Neil Harris. You know what? Neil Harris was my first uh, FA Cup interview a few years ago. Was he? I went and did. You know what? You can prob- you can probably still find it online. Uh, a an FA Cup report from Millwall. Then when they were going to go and play, uh, who does Ali G Staines? Wow. Uh, they were going to go and play Staines. Um, and we did a report from there, and Neil was one of the goal scorers, I think, back then. So it's a fairly rapid rise to the management uh, team, which is only sort of five years ago now. He's only, uh, only 38, Neil Harris. Fair play. Yeah. I um, mean, he's he's literally retired and then gone through the management ranks very quickly. So Paul Merson really has no idea, does he? <laughs> I think uh, the quarterfinal will be interesting because uh, we'll see if, you know, Harris is saying that uh, promotion's more important for Millwall. They're on a 10-game unbeaten run. So it, it depends how they approach that game. If Spurs, again, go full strength, if Pochettino is, uh, you know, going for that silverware, if we're still in Europa League at that point, which, you know, we're down in the first leg. So we shall see. Um, Millwall, though, through after beating another Premier League side 1-0, this time Premier League champions, Ooh. Leicester. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. Down to 10 men as well. And yet again. Um, scored late. Scored very, very late. I think Leicester thought they were going to cruise through. Cruise through to a replay. Cruise through to a replay. And then uh, out came the other side. I mean, uh, to be fair to uh, Leicester, or, or maybe the fact that... Uh, Ranieri is tinkering at the moment. He did put Musa up front and Okazaki just behind him. So not the normal starting uh, Jamie Vardy combination, although Vardy did start. So um, it, uh, essentially the way that the game finished was with, with Musa up front. I think Musa, it, he's just not taking that opportunity. You'd love to see him take the opportunity at uh, Leicester to be able to come through and do anything, really. Uh, but instead it was quite disappointing. They still haven't fixed the base of that midfield. Uh, and to be quite honest, the the back line that Leicester played, which it wasn't their normal starting lineup at all for a back four. Mm. Uh, Ranieri made ten changes, almost deserved to be beaten. Yeah, exactly. Uh, speaking of all those changes, none of them seemed to impress. A miserable day for Leicester, all told. Then um, probably need to focus on the Premier League. Anyway, it's not the end of the world. I'm sure most Leicester fans will agree their priorities are elsewhere. Manchester United, though. Uh, winning again this weekend, Dave, 2-1 against Blackburn. What did you make of this one? It was an interesting game, but I think the um, in terms of how it was changed, obviously a substitution, but I think it goes a little bit deeper than just a substitution. Uh, you know, you're bringing on your two best players, and yeah, fair enough, uh, you know, in terms of, of what they bring, in terms of how they they, up, they they give the side a bit of a lift in a situation like that. More, to, more for me, it was a tactical thing that Mourinho slightly tweaked. Instead of, you know, playing the 4-2-3-1, uh, they moved to playing uh, more of a 4-3-3 with Paul Pogba in midfield, which meant United retained the ball a hell of a lot better. And it also meant that um, Blackburn Rovers' pressing trap that they created with Owen Coyle was no longer really working because Michael Carrick was getting really harried by Danny Guthrie. But with an extra central midfielder in there, the same system didn't work because Charlie McGee was trying to guard the space in front of the back four, which was taken up by Henrik Mkhitaryan. And of course, um, Marvin Nemez was picking up uh, Ander Herrera, but because Paul Pogba came on, it gave them the extra man. And you go back and you watch that, the goal, Watch, uh, have a look at Tomlin's. It's brilliant. I watched it again this morning, like um, sort of like clip by clip by clip. And you see him check and look to Michael Carrick. And that instance of him looking means that he doesn't have time to now get over and close down Paul Pogba. And Paul Pogba plays past the United score. 
obviously there's a little bit more to that in terms of Zlatan's run that was very, very good. But that minor detail in central midfield, because of Jose Mourinho had changed his shape and changed his system, and Owen Goyle hadn't reacted, just made it quite fascinating for me. And I thought that that was a big thing for Jose Mourinho. It's not the first time that he's changed the game positively with his tactics. Mkhitaryan, uh, once again, excelling, uh, controlling the match, Dave. Um, he's becoming an increasingly influential figure for Manchester United. Um, I think he was very, very good in the first half, but I think he tied in the second half. Um, there was It was quite interesting. Apparently, in, in the co-coms, he wasn't playing in the Saint-Étienne game because he had an illness. Um, and that kind of showed in his performance where first half, he was absolutely fantastic. Uh, you know, the brilliant assist he got, that wonderful counter-attack where he you know, nutmegged the, I think it was Feeney, nutmegged him and played that wonderful ball the outside of his foot. Everything United did well went through Henrik Mkhitaryan. But then he sort of, you know, second half, he started dropping out the game and um, Mourinho actually withdrew Anthony Martial, who I thought just got into the game and brought Henrik Mkhitaryan um, and should have brought Henrik Mkhitaryan off at that point, left Anthony Martial. But in that first half, in terms of, you know, uh, his dribbles, he created four out of four of his dribbles. He had that moment where he was just doing tricks in the, the Blackburn box and probably should have got a shot away, but didn't. Um, brilliant, some fun, wonderful link-up play from number 10 to slide the full-back in. And it was just an all-round good performance from Henrik, but then second half he did drop off. But it was he's good and he's been performing at number 10, but maybe he's just a little bit of illness has cost him that second half performance. Finally, we must talk Huddersfield Town. Brave Huddersfield Town, I should say. Uh, holding Manchester City to a nil-nil draw, Dave. Um, entertaining game nonetheless. Yeah, it's high octane, a real you know, contrasting styles in, in the sort of mould of Jurgen Klopp, Huddersfield, and then obviously Pep Guardiola with his system and, and side. But obviously, I think Guardiola's got his mind on, on elsewhere with um, with Monaco uh, that we're probably going to talk about very very shortly. But yeah, that's that's a bigger game for him, unfortunately. I think he, in terms of cup competitions, that isn't his priority. His priority is the Premier League and his priority is the Champions League. He showed that in the League Cup side he put out against Manchester United and United, um, you know, beating them one goal to nil. And again, not putting the best side up for, for against Huddersfield. And it kind of shows a little bit that City lack a little bit of depth in, in quality. Right, that is the FA Cup review. Let's talk to football writer Simon Harrison about Barcelona in crisis. So football writer and our La Liga expert, Simon Harrison joins us once again. Simon, welcome back to the front three. Uh, thanks for having me again. It's good to be back on. We've got to talk Barcelona this week. Uh, <laughs> I saw the headline in... In Master today, Barcelona 12 yards from rock bottom, it read. Uh, of course, there are growing concerns for the club as the fallout from last week's defeat at the hands of PSG continues. It was an unconvincing win last night, uh, as the Madrid paper suggests, Simon. But to say Barcelona are nearing a crisis, do you think that's a, a fair reflection of the situation at the club right now? I think in terms of how they're playing, it's obviously quite hit and miss. You go from one week uh, where they're thrashing Alaves to then that terrible defeat in the Champions League. They've scraped a result uh, the weekend just gone. So in terms of their performance, I mean, they've had, for example, Busquets is missing due to suspension. Uh, and he's quite an integral player, even though he's not quite playing like he would normally this season. But I think the bigger sort of, the, the real crisis, I think, is kind of the identity crisis that they're kind of going through. Um, you can't argue with what Luis Enrique has won. But the the problem is when you're winning so regularly and you've won a treble and that kind of thing, it, the kind of argument becomes, well, is how we're winning good enough? So it becomes a question of whether they're willing, they're winning in a stylish way, whether there's an ideology behind it, whether they're playing La Masia graduates 
And all of that comes into the question. So he's almost a, a victim of his own early success because no one expected Luis Enrique to, to do as well as he did so early on with Barcelona, even if he was left with a really good set of tools at his disposal. So it's one of those where people, I think there's almost a sense of it being the beginning of the end. There's a lot of criticism for the board, a lot of criticism for the manager, but also there is some defence of the manager. At Camp Nou, there were reports of fans almost arguing against each other in, in the stands uh, during the Leganes game. So some would be kind of calling in support of Enrique and others would be booing them and telling them to be quiet. And it, it's just a bit of a mix-up at the moment, to be honest. Well, it was less than two years ago that Enrique led Barcelona to their second treble, just a few months after a similar sort of speculation surrounding his future swirled around the club. Talk of Enrique being sacked, of, a, of being a dead man walking once again, we're seeing similar talk, Simon. The, the defeat against PSG, the heaviest in the club's history in the Champions League, and mounting criticism for his tactics and team selection. Well, I think what he's kind of relied on more, much more than ex-managers, is his front three. I mean, you can argue with the amount that he's rotated his midfield three this season, whether it be through injury, so necessity or no necessity at all, it's it's arguable that he doesn't necessarily know his best midfield three, I would say, personally. Um, and the problem is that with the slightly more direct style of football that they're playing, when they play against teams such as Athletic Club or Real Sociedad or Eibar, that all of these teams, they're kind of... You used to have teams going to Camp Nou and kind of just shutting up shop and hoping for the best and playing back five. While that is still a tactic which some managers like to revert to for these big games... Uh, it is becoming more possible to think, well, we're going to go and set up much higher up the pitch. We're going to press a lot higher. We're going to maybe commit three forward players to kind of prevent Tischtegen from playing out from the back. And then from there, it becomes a bit of just missing out the midfield three. And with with the criticism of Busquets this season, with the argument really that he's not playing at his best, I mean, I don't really think that the system aids him in that because... It puts a lot of pressure on him because what I think is quite obvious would be that if um, obviously a team are going to press high, if you put a player at least within a few yards of Sergio Busquets, even though he is that creative player, he can see the pitch around him and, you know, obviously he's, he's, he's been wonderful for years. But if you, if you give him that close attention and if you give Barcelona's back four uh, a lot of pressure to deal with, it becomes a bit more hit and miss in terms of how they can try and control games. I mean, it's really interesting when you mentioned the the losing of the identity in a way. I mean, on the pitch, obviously, as you're saying there, there are certain criticisms for Enrique. But what about off the pitch? I mean, in terms of the makeup of this team, it's fair to say the transfer policy in the past few seasons has been erratic, to say the least. Uh, you know, there, there seems to be less opportunities for academy players. Um, you know, we saw the former president, Juan Laporta, last night tweet out La Masia dismantled when he saw the lineup this weekend, uh, 10 foreign nationals, only three La Masia graduates, of course, including Lionel Messi, uh, one Catalan player in Sergio Roberto. Is there a feeling the club have lost their way on another level as well? Well, I think in terms of their transfer policy, um, obviously the team is sort of based around the front three, the MSN, whatever you want to call them. Uh, and I think the summer just gone, the transfer policy in my eyes was kind of giving a bit more strength and depth. So bringing in players like Digne, uh, Denis Suarez, uh, Andre Gomez and they weren't necessarily going to be players that would come in be stars and really take take sort of the team by storm almost it was it was more recognizing that 
in a long season when there's the need to rotate, when there's a lot of games and congestion in terms of the calendar. Um, I, th- I think the buy the only the only buy who's really impressed in my eyes is Samuel Umtiti, and even he is has, he's been a bit guilty of a few mistakes. Um, but I think with with regard to Lamazia, obviously any club would love to see as many of their players from their youth academy as possible on the pitch at any given time. It wasn't too long ago that Barcelona put out an entire starting eleven all with their youth products. Um, but at the end of the day, it is a results business. And you had um, against, uh, well, at the weekend, Granada, they started uh, in their game uh, with 11 different nationalities, which is the first time in the league of history that that is actually a thing. Um, so given that they won and won in such convincing style, um, no, no one's talking about that in Granada. They're just happy to get the three points. And it doesn't matter who's on the pitch as long as they're getting the win and as long as they're putting in a performance that the fans are happy with. So I think in terms of all of this coming out from uh, Laporta and, and all the criticism, it, it really is a case of Barcelona having these poor defeats and their form isn't bad, but they are having some of this, just a poor result, for example, such as PSG. Um, and when a result like that comes along, there's huge questions asked of every single tier of the hierarchy at Barcelona in terms of the board, the manager, the players, everything. Um, and it's it's becoming increasingly more like easier I suppose for the the house of cards to kind of fall down so obviously they can rebuild and then a week later it all collapses again and it's it just it's very unsturdy I think and it's in terms of the dissidents and people disagreeing with certain aspects of how the club is run or the certain aspects of the team selection or the academy I think it's all just down to performances these aren't things that people will be talking about if Barcelona were playing well um, and while it might lead to some undeserved criticism, for example, of Luis Enrique, who's obviously done a very good job considering what was expected of him when he came in. Um, it, it really is just the fact that football is this results business. And when you've got players such as Andre Gomez and Lucas Digne and Samuel Umtiti coming in and, and not perhaps performing as people expected, obviously people are going to look and say, well, we've got this fantastic academy. We've got this conveyor belt of talent that brought us such success under Guardiola. Um, and I do think it is almost a case of Barcelona being, in every sense of the phrase, a victim of their own success. Also adding voice to the criticism, of course, was Dani Alves this weekend, uh, launching uh, a quite scathing attack on the club, uh, accusing the Barcelona board of showing him no respect and having no idea of how to treat their players. I mean, he's obviously talking about certain institutional problems at the club. You're saying that Luis Enrique is potentially not deserving of some of the criticism he's getting. I mean, for you, where does the blame lie in this current situation? Uh, it, I mean, it's hard to say. There's so many different stories and rumours flying around at the moment. I mean, with regard to the Danny Alves comments, uh, earlier in the week, Marco ran a story uh, suggesting that perhaps Luis Enrique hasn't got the sort of good relationship with the squad anymore, uh, that he doesn't potentially have that relationship with players who aren't playing as much. So it's been well documented that Zinedine Zidane at Real Madrid, he's done quite well with players such as Morata, Isco, Hammers, trying to balance their playing time and make sure that even if they're not uh, in a starting role, they still feel part of everything. And there's almost a suggestion by some parts of the media that players such as Alcacer um, or whoever else, perhaps you don't see that Luis Enrique has this direct trust in on the pitch that they might perhaps feel a little bit left out. Um, it, it's hard to say. I mean, I think in terms of a club 
having a long period of success. I think they need to have a certain amount of stability, a clear idea of what they want. And I think that's all got to emanate really from board level. So the board have got to decide, for example, would they do they want to keep on with their transfer policy of buying talent and bringing it in? Uh, do they want to maybe, you know, put that on ice a little bit and think, right, well, we're going to focus on some of our top prospects in the academy and try and play them as much as possible. They've got Carlos Alenia, who's played a little bit this season, but not not very, very much at all. Um, and obviously, none, none of it helps when you've got Alves coming out and complaining. You've got ex-president Juan Laporta coming and saying that uh, Josep Maria Bartomeu is, they're destroying the club. Um, so I think in terms of, that if they sort things out at board level, it should really be a trickle-down effect to the point where perhaps the team don't need to feel as if their performances are directly relative to what everybody thinks of the entire club from top to bottom. Well, next weekend, uh, perfect timing. Promises to be a huge game, potentially a defining game. Barcelona making what will be their final visit, most likely to the Vicente Calderon. Do you think Barcelona can can rally to defy their critics or are we expecting to see even more pressure mounting on Luis Enrique, Simon? I mean, it's definitely, it's a tough game coming at a point of the season where Barcelona will not have, not be wanting to go to the Calderon. Um, I mean, they've not really got any injury problems, but they've got all of this criticism and everything just swirling around. Uh, they'll have Busquets back, but with Atletico Madrid, I, I mean, you don't know from week to week which team you're going to see from, from Diego Simeone in terms of what team's going to turn up. You've got Kevin Gamero barely scoring for like a few weeks and, and Antoine Griezmann having these little goal droughts too. And then suddenly there's wonder goals from Griezmann to get them out of trouble. Uh, Gamayra scored a, th- uh, a, th- a five minute hat trick at the at the weekend, which is almost unprecedented in the league of history. So it, it is a tough one because you're coming into this game where both of these teams, I would argue are having a sort of identity crisis with Barcelona. It's what's going on with Enrique. It's um, all of the problems that we've talked about be- before during uh, this conversation. Um, and with Atletico, it's almost, is it the end for Diego Simeone? Are things kind of grinding slowly to a bit more of a halt where you've got a squad where half of, half of the squad will be very familiar with how um, Los Colchoneros used to always grind out these results and obviously the game-by-game game mentality and fighting and passion. And with their transfer policy, they've almost gone a little bit away from that and tried to get some more players in that are a bit more exciting, a bit more direct, maybe tried to change the style of play a little bit but it, that hasn't quite worked for Atletico either so you've got two teams playing against each other and I imagine that both of them would probably not want to be facing off at the the given time um, I think Simeone will probably be buoyed by the fact that, that obviously they're at home uh, it's going to be one of the last huge games at the Calderon and I think Barcelona will probably be going in and be happy for a point because how they're playing recently I mean, things don't look good and Atletico have picked up a little bit over the last few games. Simon, brilliant stuff once again. Thank you very much for coming on the front three. Where can the whole find more of you? Well, I am on Twitter almost 24-7 um, and you can find me at Simon H Football and with the same tag on Facebook too. So if you want to see any of my thoughts on the Liga, any articles that I've got up, uh, that's the best place to go and find me. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Thanks to Simon once again. We're joined now by the man, the myth, the legend, Chris Hennage, outside St. James's Park. Chris, how was the game? Newcastle 2, Aston Villa nil. Um, it was a... <laughs> It was essentially a public humiliation for Henry Lansbury, the poor lad. Um, for those who don't know, Newcastle played Forest in December um, and were, I think, aggrieved at the way the game went, part, partly because Lansbury dove around like a bit of a task. Um, and when he joined Villa, Newcastle fans penciled this game as a chance to give him dog's abuse. And it started from the first minute. As soon as his name was announced, he was booed and all this and again, it's, you know, one of those things, football's fun, but, you know, you never really get proper comeuppance, if you will. That was until Henry scored one of the worst own goals I think I've had the pleasure of witnessing. It bounced off the side of his leg, the post, and then the back of his leg. Um, and what looked like a goal for Jamal LaSalle at first quickly became an own goal for Henry Lansbury. And the eruption of sort of cheering and laughter that followed was quite hilarious to witness. Um, and, I mean, look, away from that, away from that fun aspect, Villa are in trouble. Villa are definitely in trouble. Um, I don't think they're a bad side. They've got some good players. Benitez said that himself. But Bruce... Bruce looks like a beaten man at the minute. Um, they've not won since Boxing Day, which is a frightening statistic that even he can't ignore. And I think when you just look at the constant change that's been that football club, it's quite sad to see. I mean, credit to the Villa fans. They stayed fairly positive. They sang about Graham Taylor. Um, but as I put in my report for, for ITV, they are a long way from contesting or even being in the top division at the minute. They are nine games without a win, as you say, since Boxing Day, Chris. But uh, to make matters worse... Scott Hogan was also carried off on a stretcher late on. Uh, they obviously signed him for £12 million in January. That's a big blow for them, isn't it? It's a massive blow. Um, and the, the worst thing is, it's such an innocuous situation. Essentially what he's done, it looks like, from my vantage point, he's gone up for a header, stepped on his opponent's shoe, and that's given him sort of an uneven footing to kind of, well, I don't know, twist his ankle, do his ligaments. This is... The problem with the ankle is it's a lot of tight, small moving parts. And I mean, I did my ankle ligaments ooh, about a year ago, 18 months ago. And it's a very slow healer. It's, it's not something you can rush because it's mobility. And you've got to be very careful about um, a lot of different things, really. So it's going to be a difficult one for him. Like I say, Bruce didn't sound too positive about it either. 
it's just one thing after another for them. Um, they've spent a lot of money in January. Brought in Lansbury, as we talked about, Conor Hurahane, Berko Bjarnason, Scott Hogan. And it hasn't brought a drastic turnaround, which, in fairness, massive amounts of January business rarely does. It might bring a bump, but it'll not bring sustained success. Whereas Benitez has had the benefit of being there since March last year. So it's a sad thing to see. I never like to see clubs struggle personally. Um, but as I say, I'll, I'll be amazed if, if Villa are even close to the playoffs come the end of the season. At this point, they're fighting to survive. What about... Uh, Dwight Galchrist because he had to limp off himself uh, after half an hour or so the, the top scorer for Newcastle top scorer in the championship with 20 goals was there any news on, on that injury? Yeah it was an interesting one but he has said something that kind of caught my eye a little bit or caught my ear excuse me which was he's had a baby recently Dwight Gale and he said he wasn't sleeping so well so he wasn't training properly as a consequence so I would imagine it's not a massive one it's probably just a strain and a slight precaution but I think, if I'm honest, you've got to give credit to Mitrovic because he came on and he gave them a massively different dynamic to what they had. Gale was largely chasing the ball. He wasn't able to impose himself, but he's like, what, 5'9", five, 5'10"? Five, you don't put him in the team to do that. Um, Mitrovic is a different question altogether. And Actually, I think once the second half kicked on and they got that second goal and Villa started to loosen a bit and the game opened up a bit, that was when Mitrovic kind of came into his own. He was throwing himself about. He was winning fouls. He was essentially playing with some controlled aggression, which is massively what that guy's needed for, for his time at, at Newcastle. So a fair few positives, but I think the thing with Benitez is, and, and something I've noticed is consistent throughout this season, it's always just about the next game. Mm. They've got a decent fixture list coming up. They've got Redding away, Huddersfield away, and Brighton away. So <laughs> as it stands... I think that's second, third and fourth, which could be very difficult for them. But he's instantly sort of killing that talk and saying, no, it's about Bristol City on Saturday. That's all it is. And I think that is, is what helps them the most. Well, Newcastle are a, a point clear at the top of the table after that game. Uh, what was the atmosphere like tonight, Chris? Because tonight saw the Gallagate Flags group debuting a, a massive giant flag, a new surfer flag that they've unveiled. You know, they're trying to, to improve the atmosphere inside St. James's Park. What was it like inside the stadium? Yeah, I thought it was good. Look, I, I think I think the intention is massively admirable. Um, I took a video that we'll put up on the social media for, for people to have a look at and engage themselves. But yeah, I think it's a lot of well-intentioned people that want to bring that X factor back to St. James's Park. Um, I don't think it's quite with the coordination or the the sort of energy that, that, say, Dortmund has, which I think is maybe where this idea has, has sprung from ever so slightly. But overall, I think it's, it's a well-intentioned, well-carried-out plan. And funnily enough, the, I think the, the bigger role came once the game actually started. I think this stadium, and I say the same of uh, the Stadium of Light as well, it's got the potential to be massive. They're, they're both venues that can create a very unique almost like, you know, hairs on the back of your neck type of atmosphere. It's just very hard to cultivate that when you're losing all the time. And I think this is what this season is doing for the supporters. They've got a man that they like, and that's building a bridge between them and an atmosphere. Let's talk Champions League. Let's preview the action, guys. Some big, Gigantic big games. games. Games you might call 
Gary games, you might call them. <laughs> Is that correct? See? Yeah, that, there you go. It just there you go. works. Uh, let's talk about Monaco and Man City first. An intriguing tie, Dave. Uh, Guardiola, of course, has won the competition twice as a coach. Never failed to reach the semi-finals in seven attempts. But this is a tough team. He's come up against free scoring Monaco. Guardioli himself said today that he would be killed, not literally, if they lose this game. Well, you know, he might be. He might be killed. But as he said, high-flying scoring Monaco, 76 goals in Liga this season, 13 more than any other side in Europe's top five leagues. The 4-4-2 is how they play. Uh, Jermaine and Falcao up front with wide players Lamar and Bernardo Silva. Very, very impressive coming inside, creating uh, opportunities for teammates, two wide forwards. And then with the real engine room in midfield, Fabinho, uh, the heartbeat of the side. He's the guy completing the passes, recovering the ball, keeping it quite simple. And then Bakayoko, more of the energetic shuttle who's winning tackles, just all around destroying people. And then, you know, the, the two fullbacks. Really, there's a lot of attacking play comes through their fullback. It's quite interesting. 14 of the assists in uh, in Liga for the 76 goals have come from fullbacks. That is the the biggest split of any part of the team. You think in the wide players, the central midfielders, it's the, the assists are coming from the fullbacks. That's Mendy, Sadibi and Traore who have um, five assists, four assists and five assists respectively. So City really have to watch Monaco on the counter-attack. That's where they've been so dangerous this season with uh, the, like Bakayoko breaking up an attack, slipping a tackle and then playing it to one of these more creative forward players they get they get a lot of crosses into the box from those fullback areas whether it's whipped whether it's to the byline so they're going to cause City a lot of problems City have struggled this season against teams that have broken down the flanks and that is what Monaco will do to them so Pep Guardiola has got a real battle on his hands score prediction Dave hit me I've gone 3-1 Monaco wow wow that is a big call and I like it a lot bold um, Chris let's talk Sevilla, Leicester City. Uh, I mean, yeah, let's definitely talk about the game I didn't write a 1,000-word preview on. Um, All right, come on in. Wax lyrical about Monaco. They're just dangerous on the counter-attack, massively. Um, their, their transition ability is so impressive to me. I think you look at Lamar, he's been linked to City. Very, I think a very interesting prospect because he's just very direct and very aggressive. Um, you have a nice contrast there with <coughs> Bernardo Silva, who... Has a little bit more guile, a little bit more craft to him. Um, I think, honestly, if, if City are looking to, to go for a replacement for David Silva, then his, his namesake, Bernardo, is the perfect one. Um, but, yeah, I, th- I think overall what you can say about Monaco as well is it's not just an attack, it's defence too. Camille Click is a very impressive centre-back and he's, he's very much held this side together at the back. And the athleticism of their full-backs is something I'm going to be watching because I think... If you're looking at one shortcoming of City this season, it's probably been those fullbacks. So, against a pair that are not only, I would say, quick and strong and can get up and down, but also have quite a lot of attacking intent, that's going to be something where I think City could be undone. Here we go, Dave. Dave, uh, for more on that, go over to the Statman Dave football podcast, right? And also the Front Free YouTube channel where the video is going to drop tomorrow. Sicko. Oh, so much play. Oh yeah, Kylian Mbappe as well. He's another one. That's that's the amazing thing about this Monaco team is you've got Mbappe in there who is not a consistent starter, but is a wonderful talent. Is I mean everyone says he's the new Henri, and I kind of see why. Um, even Henri's understood that comparison. So has Wenger. He's made it, and he, he, he's a very again he's a very athletic, very quick, really keen to run at people and twist them in, in different directions and you put him in the penalty area and he just seems exceptionally composed. I was talking to a 
um, a scout out in France and he was saying if there's one thing you can throw at him it's maybe that he's a little bit one-footed but other than that I think he, he is a wonderful talent and in fact I even wrote for, for ITV this week that if, if on if you know if Henri was the original gamble in 99 I think it would be a great idea for Wenger to make another one this year and, and try and get Mbappe Ooh. Ooh. a little bit of transfer gossip for you there as well I like that I like that um, Lawrence let's talk Sevilla Leicester you know at the start of the season Champions League Leicester would have welcomed playing there they're incredible only conceded one guy in the group stages now they point over the drop zone Sevilla third in the Liga table this is coming at a bad time for Claudio Ranieri the Foxes are going to get hammered am I right? The Foxes are going to get hammered unlike their fans who have been um, banned from the game no Leicester fans are allowed to buy tickets for this match zero really? Zero, zero Leicester fans allowed in the stadium. Why? Uh, I think that Sevilla, uh, I, I, from what I can work out, Sevilla is trying to cultivate some of a home uh, advantage. I also think that um, they uh, are fearful of Leicester fans uh, or fearful of classic England fans. Uh, really? I guess the worry would be that there's a lot of expats in that area. So the stadium could turn into an away match for uh, Sevilla. Although maybe there's a bigger, better reason. But my, my big bad reason is that I think they're paranoid. Um, having said that, uh, I would say that they also have reasons to worry. Whilst they have beaten Real Madrid in the last 10 games um, and you know thrashed quite a few sides, they've also been thrashed by uh, Real Madrid just after their 9-1 win. Uh, and... You know, essentially, we're looking at a side that still could have been undone by a Leicester team who only seemed to perform in the Champions League. Are you going to back that up with a score prediction? Are you going to tell me Leicester are going to win now? I'll say 1-0 Leicester on the away, on the away leg. bold, is how I will charitably phrase that prediction. Um, Very. <laughs> what about, uh, Chris, the other Spanish team in action? Um, maybe you wrote a thousand words on this one. Uh, Bayer Leverkusen. Atletico Madrid. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just putting the, I'm just seeing if you maybe wrote a nice article, you know. Knowing my luck, you'd have wrote can't it. You'd wrote it for can't all be big money producers, mate. Also got a right you, you might have wrote it for Porto Juventus instead. I don't know. Well, I think, I think Leverkusen Madrid is, is one that will be very interesting. I know Dave's probably got a million and one thoughts on this from a tactical perspective. The thing with Leverkusen is they've been a little bit inconsistent, and I know Roger Schmidt's been earmarked as a potential candidate for Arsenal. I do see why. I think if you're looking for what the current sort of tactical trends are, he fits a lot of those boxes. I mean, it was Guardiola that said of his Salzburg team, I've never faced a team with such intensity and pressure. So you could definitely see him fitting in there. Um, I think he's, he's probably working with a slightly lower calibre of player or a slightly lower budget at, at Leverkusen. It's not where Arsenal could spend, um, which, again, you know, leads you neatly into Atletico Madrid because you could argue they're in a similar boat. They're not able to to spend at the level of the elite, yet they've been in the Champions League final two years out of the last three or, or something ridiculous like that. So it's very much a, a fight between two of the teams that are in that elite bubble, but not spending that much. Um, and I think for that reason, it, it poses an interesting one because you would even argue between Simeone and Schmidt, they're two of the more sort of coveted managerial candidates heading into this summer because I think it's, it's largely agreed at this point that Diego Simeone might be ready to move on. There's talk of Inter Milan. He wants to coach there at some point. 
And also Schmidt, with the likes of Arsenal opening up, as we talked about, could be set to move. So I'm eager to see how they work against each other, because you would argue there's similarities there in the way they set their teams up. And as we know, you know, two cars running at each other, eventually one of them's going to have to veer off or, or face the fact that they're going to be crushed. Mm, it's an intriguing one, Dave. How do you see this one going? A lot of talk pre-match about Javier Hernandez, uh, four goals in his last two games, red-hot form, Chicharito. Uh, could he be the deciding factor? I think he could be one factor in it in a game that's going to be fascinating. Like, like Chris has mentioned, it's high press, high intensity of both sides. I think Roger Smith is a higher presser than um, Simeone and his team. You know, they will sit off a bit more. But Atletico have been struggling of late. And I watched them at the weekend against Sporting Gijon. And they had a bit of a problem with uh, their, their system. It was it looked more of a 4-2-4 a than a 4-4-2 with um, Carrera and a Carrasco not really tracking back and protecting their fullbacks. And that's where Gijon were really catching them out there. You know, the goal that um, Sporting Gijon scored was through that area. Koke was dragged over. They played a simple ball into the channel and they scored a goal from that. So... Uh, if Atletico aren't smart, Leverkusen will do that. They're in some pretty good form, like you mentioned, uh, Javier Hernandez, who uh, four goals in two games. They've got a number of young players in there. Julian Brandt, that's such an exciting talent, can drift past players for fun. Uh, you've got Benjamin Hendricks, who I've mentioned before, quality fullback, most most tackles in the Champions League this season, winning 73% of them. Um, and then another lad whose name I am just about to butcher, called Havitz or something like that. Um, who's come through their academy and has been in really good form in the last two games. He's got an assist against Frankfurt, an assist against Augsburg. The assist against Frankfurt was a bit of brilliant, um, sort of a slaloming run from outside the area, beating a number of players and then uh, squaring the ball to Javier Hernandez. But with him attacking midfield, it gives Leverkusen a slightly different um, way of playing because in more recent years, they've been playing a very much a, a 4-2-2-2. With this, it opens up to the 4-2-3-1, which will slightly give them a little bit more control in central midfield. So it's going to be a great game. Have it. Have it. Uh, finally, Porto Juventus. Uh, Juventus going into this one as firm favourites. Dave, uh, Chiellini and Barzagli missing, um, but you'd expect them to get a result, even at, as Allegri has said, the intimidating Estadio do Drago. Yeah, they'll absolutely battle them. You've been in scintillating form since moving to the 4-2-3-1. <laughs> I don't think they've conceded a goal. They've looked so in control. They've looked like an a proper Champions League top-class uh, team this season. They have switched to that 4-4-2 that is a 4-2-3-1 in attack with uh, Dybala playing off uh, Gonzalo goals. Then you've got Mario Mandzukic on the left wing and Quadrado on the right wing. That is a really pacey attack that's got potential on the counter-attack. Monaco have just been... Sorry, uh, Juventus have just been just destroying teams of late. With Regani and Benucci, that's absolutely fine at the back there. And, you know, with... Uh, Pjanic in central midfield, his relationship with Marquisio this season has looked really, really good. And they've got... Not Marquisio, sorry. Kadira uh, playing more of a box-to-box role with Pjanic or Marquisio. They just look like the perfect team for me this year. And I can't see them not going far. I can't see this not being their year of them getting to at least a semi-final. Then I think they'll blow Porto away. Andre Silva is a, has been in decent form this season in the Champions League. You know, the young Portuguese striker. But apart from that, not a lot of quality. But how many goals are they going to blow Porto away by, Dave? I'm going to go 2-0. But then when they come back to the... Juventus Stadium, yeah, 4-0. Wow. They're going to absolutely blow them away, 2-0. He's talking about aggregate, If you watch Juve at the moment, right? If you watch Juve at the moment, 2-0, they blow you away. It's weird. Like they've The, the last them. few games One that I've watched of Juve, they've won 2-0, and the opposition hasn't had a single kick. They only, like, haven't created a single b- 
big chance. It's absolutely Literally. mental. So Juve will be in full control. Guys, that brings an end uh, to this week's Front Free Weekend Review. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, I think before we go, we should plug relentlessly Dave's new podcast. Don't you think, Lawrence? Davecast? Dave yeah, it's up on iTunes now. Dave, if you go type in Statman Dave. What is the podcast called? What is it about? And where can people get their grubby ears around it? Well, Adam, the, the podcast is a daily podcast um, called the Stat Monday Football no. Podcast. It is available what? on ACAST to listen to. Listen to it on ACAST. Make sure you do that. Then listen, listen to it on, to iTunes. It on iTunes. Mm. Then watch on YouTube. Just do all three of them. Just watch it. Listen to it. A triple watch threat. It three times. Wow. Do it triple threat. Mm. If you're bad enough. If you're not, then just go onto iTunes or ACAST and listen to it. And what, Dave, features on Monday's daily episode? Well, on Monday, Adam, um, we have gone into depth uh, talking a little bit about Manchester United, but then we've moved on to going to talk about what's gone wrong with Atletico Madrid this season in my interpretation uh, following the, the weekend's game. Uh, then we're going to touch a little bit on the, the previews that we've mentioned today, and then we're going to do Monaco, a little tactical setup, talking about how they score goals. I mean, it That's sounds right. like an absolute delight. Guys, you can click on the link in the description of this very podcast if you can't get enough of Dave, uh, of course, you know, you can't, no one can, then get <laughs> your ears around this podcast. It's an absolute delight and you are going to love it. Um, Chris, do you fancy plugging anything before we say goodbye? Maybe a 1,000 word article. Yes, I've done a few things this week, actually. Um, Great. Uh, I did something on Kylian Mbappe for ITV. I've also Lovely. just done a nice report on the dual fortunes or very differing fortunes of Aston Villa and Newcastle for ITV. Nice preview of Monaco for Yahoo Sport. And we're also looking to drop an interview stroke feature on Marcus Rashford. We've spoken to his youth coach. Wow. I would imagine we'll see some of that on the front three at some point. Top quality football journalism. Uh, if you go to at Hennage. On Twitter, you will find the links to all of those wonderful, insightful writings from the man himself. Um, Lawrence, plug something, mate. Come on. Uh, you can go and listen to the other guy's stuff because uh, I'm, he I'm helping with uh, Dave's uh, podcast. Selfless. And um, Lovely. Uh, Chris is just a great writer who I like to think sometimes I inspire. So... Uh, yeah. yeah. What, what about you, Adam? Oh, yeah, you've got loads of stuff. Well, what of mine are you, what of mine are you pushing to? Then, um, you know? I'm, I'm well, I like, I like to think in many ways that Spencer models himself on me. So um, I think mm. it, um, I think it's uh, only right that you go and see the Hashtag Academy, which is looking good, which was produced oh. partly by our very own Adam Boltwood. Guys, go and check it out. It's on Spencer's channel. A little something to help make. I think you'll enjoy it. But it is good, good. Clean, fun. Yeah, it is good. It genuinely is. Don't go too overboard. It's very well produced, it's a great, very well thought out. It is a great... It's very well produced. This was... I want to say well produced. <laughs> everything that comes under the producing uh, responsibilities was the, well done. As the was more you hang out with them, the work, more you look like more involved. Mm, it's inescapable. Guys, <laughs> thank you so much for listening to The Front Free. Uh, we'll see you again on Thursday for the Q&A. Do get your questions in on Twitter at the front three with the number, not the word. Until then, have a fantastic week. <laughs>